things that I could already see in her face. Oh, she doesn't want to go and I have to make her go. And then she came up with a beautiful solution. She just offered something. I think she knew that I would take off all the pressure. She just laid down. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere, where we work to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Samford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past and present. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. In this episode, I speak with Sandra Popama from Hippo Logic. And no, she does not work with hippos. Her business name is rooted in her history and lineage, and it beautifully reflects the work she does in helping horses by helping the humans. Sandra, like a lot of us, knows that any issues with the horse can usually be traced back to us in some way. And that if she works on the confidence and self-esteem of the humans, as well as the thought processes in their training, then the horse will respond and perform differently as well. Sandra has a background in animal behaviour. She studied it at university level. It's really interesting to hear what she learned and how she implements that into her work now. Sandra also has a special offer for the listeners of this podcast. So stick around and I'll tell you about it after you hear more about the wonderful Sandra Popama. Sandra, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. I'm honored. Fantastic. And can you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do and where you're coming from in the world? Uh, let me start with that. Uh, um, I'm born in the Netherlands, in Europe, and in 2012, I immigrated to Canada with my husband, my son, our two cats, and my horse. And what I do is... Um, I offer online coaching for equestrians and um, the, uh, what I do is um, um, I connect people with their inner wisdom and I, I'm teaching them the principles of learning and motivation so they can become skilled and confident to train their own horse in the way they really really want it and get the results they really really want and get the relationship and the deeper connection with their horse they've always dreamt of i love it start with the human and then it affects the horse because it's in the doing and the learning that we're able to then teach it it's a beautiful way to do it did you you came from the netherlands with horses but did you grow up with horses were they always a part of your life they were always a part of my life, but they were not uh, always a part of my parents' life uh, because my parents didn't uh, have horses. They didn't want to buy horses. Uh, we lived in a small village um, with a with an old center, and it was a farmer's village. So people near me had horses, and... Um, I always wanted horses, but uh, my parents said, well, if you want a horse, you have to save up for it. Uh, so that's what I did eventually. But uh, I started 
riding when I was, I think, about eight years old after nagging for four or five years for riding lessons. Wonderful. And who was your first horse? My first horse was called Sholto, and he was a little hackney pony. And it was really the most wonderful teacher I could have. Um, He was born in uh, 1983 and I was free leasing or taking care of his mom basically with another girl and girls in teenage, early teenage years are often a little bit jealous. So I asked her like, would you like to take care of the foal or would you like to take care of Shikade, the mom? And she said, well, I prefer the mom. So I said, okay, I'll take care of the, the, the foal. And that was him. So from day one, we uh, connected and he was a stallion and the man, the owner kept him a stallion. Um, so I, when he was four, I was 16. So that was uh, both in our puberty. And I learned a lot from him because we didn't have any guidance we we just went there every saturday and if we wanted to ride or do something we needed to catch the horses and they were way smarter than us so they taught us how to connect with them so they wanted to come to us and how did you do that at 16 with a four-year-old stallion how on earth did you do that Oh, we tried everything. First, we tried everything in the books um, because it was uh, the 80s. So the library had like four or five books about horse training. And they said like, uh, take a bucket food and uh, and then catch a horse. Well, he didn't want to come at all because in the winter, they were kept in their stables for six months, basically, without any outdoor activities. And because it was in the, in the middle of the village. And then in the summer, they were brought to pasture. And then they were the rest of the year, they were there. So the first few weeks in pasture, they didn't even think of coming to us, like the first few years. His mom um, was about 10 or 11, and she, she just came, uh, dove into the bucket, uh, grabbed a mouthful of feed, uh, food, and then ran off. Um, so... There was no time to put a halter on or whatever. We were not um, skilled enough, not fast enough, not strong enough to uh, just corner them and then try to catch them. So we basically, well, we couldn't catch them. So we just sat in the pasture and what girls do, they enjoy being with the horses. And we, uh, my, uh, was I was uh, with my friend, so we just talked and then, they got interested in us because we found out so really quickly that running after them just didn't get us anywhere. So we just sat there every Saturday and and talked until the horse came to us. And well, that's basically how, how the horses taught us to come into their world in a way they wanted us to be. So that was really uh, yeah, big learning. And at such a young age, that's a wonderful age to learn that. Well, there was nobody that taught, taught us that we had to be the boss or we had to do this. So 
the only teacher we had was the horse. So that's something that was, yeah, I, I'm really, really lucky in that way. Like Fantastic. Yeah. And how far did you go with that horse that you were riding at that school? Um, well, it was not at a riding school. It was a, from a, a, a ah. So a we, did he ride basically. horses at all? So he had, he had three ponies. No, he occasionally put them in front of a carriage, and then we we drove them around. Um, and basically, he didn't. Well, he was too busy to teach us anything. So the horses taught us. So we, with a book in hand, we started them under saddle and the horses just taught us well this is not okay or this is okay I love it. <laughs> we made many 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 mistakes I love, that's life though isn't it really it's uh it's the mistakes it's, it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it i always tell myself and my kids and uh my when the kids say i've failed i'm like oh no the failure comes if you do the same thing again and again and again that's when it's a failure if you learn from it and move on then it's not a failure it's just a turning point yeah well we have lots and lots of learning points indeed and um because we love 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 those ponies we didn't care if we could ride them or not just being with them was like amazing like that mare it was like it was a a journey in itself to to brush her because she didn't want to get brushed or touched or whatever and you know so she was always trying to bite us so we had to use gentle ways because otherwise well she made it really clear what she wanted and what she didn't want from us so yeah and that's and that's something that i really missed when i started riding lessons in a riding school you were taught that the horse had to do whatever you said he had to do and you could never let him win. And, but it was weird because, um, yeah, the way we, we, um, treated our, 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 our own, which were not our own ponies was so different because that didn't work on the, those horses. It's a bit different when you get handed a horse and, it rides around an arena and then the next one comes and rides the same horse. I always have a lot of um, gratitude for a school horse. I've ridden them and I always take very great care with them and, and big thanks to them because they, they're incredible in many ways. They're amazing and they're so forgiving and, and yeah. And they understand their job and their role. And most of them, I've seen, met some who are very shut down, but I've met someone who really understand their job and are taken care of well and, and who, um, whose coaches also ride them a bit to keep them in tune and, and things like that and, and have good relationships with them. So, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're a credit to the horse world and, and I certainly wouldn't be riding without one. What happened when you left school? Did you stay with horses? Um, when I left university, you mean? It, it's uh, sure. Well, so you went from high school to university. Did you stay with horses during that time? Yes, because the the, the horse that that Sholto, my my first pony, he was sold when he was six years old, and um, I wanted him to be. I wanted to buy him, but my parents were not agreeing, and. 
I was I was 17 and they, well, we didn't have a farm or wherever where we could have a horse. And I always said, and I promised that pony, I will buy you and we will um, be together. But um, the person to whom he was sold, resold him. So uh, I lose uh, contact. And so for basically for three years, I was looking for him and um, I did find him eventually. And I did manage uh, by that time, it was one year before I would go to university. Uh, I saved up and my mom was really contributing the rest of the money. Uh, so I could buy him. Uh, so it was, of course, not, not the smartest uh, time of my life to buy a horse just one year before I would go to university. But I managed. So finally, I had my first pony and I was already too too big to, to ride him because he was really small horse, like Hackney Pony. Um, but I, I did a lot of groundwork. I did... Um, I drove him in f with a carriage and I just had him just because I loved him not to ride him. So yeah, during my uh, study uh, in university, I always uh, had him until he was 21. Oh, beautiful. What did you study at university? I studied animal management and zoos. And in that study, um, because I didn't want to become a vet and um, all the, um, the educations to become uh, horse-related uh, professions like farriers, uh, I didn't want to do that because then I had to buy a taller horse, or a real big horse, and I, I couldn't afford that. So I had to sell my pony. And it was also in a boarding school, which I did not like at all it was not uh, enticing so then there was a new study which was called animal management and it, um, the aim was to um, um, to teach you how to become uh, um, to have a management position into the non-profit animal world um, non-production animal world and non uh, production animals are animals in farms that produce like bull, meat, eggs, and so on. And non-production animals are all the other animals we keep. So um, animals in zoos, animals um, in riding schools, in petting zoos, all that kind of animals. What are some of the things you learned from that university time? What really stood out for you and put you on the path? To working with horses what really stood out was um, there was a lot of ethical discussions during those four years like questions like is it ethical to lock up an animal um, well and if we do lock up an animal or we keep animals like horses or zoo animals for instance we talked a lot about zoo animals because that was one of my majors like what do we need to do for them in order to make it more ethical or to make it ethical to keep them in a zoo. Like, uh, and then things came up like um, we need to provide them with, we need to ensure that their welfare is taken care of. And how do we do that? They, they need to um, uh, 
display their natural behavior. If you put, uh, for instance, a polar bear into a concrete cage, his welfare is, is just not taken care of. But so what can we do? We have to, uh, in, in nature, they swim and they, they hunt. And how can we like mimic that environment, their natural habitat in order to make them as happy as possible. And we didn't uh, talk a lot in our study because it was about wildlife management and zoos. Uh, we didn't take talk a lot about horses, but I always kept horses in my mind with every discussion we had. I asked myself, how can we apply this to horses? Hmm. Maybe it's it's not as nice to keep an animal, a horse, for six months in a stable. Hmm. Like, how could we improve their welfare? And um, and yeah, and and also um, with riding horses, is it really? How are they experiencing it? Because as long as they are having fun, it's it's okay. But I saw a lot of places where horses were not as happy as they could be. So I questioned training methods and my my own training methods and the way of keeping horses. I always wanted my horse in a field as much as possible, but it was not always possible. So, yeah. I so what adjustments did you make? Because there's a lot of people listening who probably are in the same or possibly are in the same circumstance where they need to keep their horse in a stable for six months of the year or at least certain amounts of time during the year or even just at night. So what things did you do to make it a little more ethical for your horse or, or what did you, not even your horse, but horses in general? Well, horses in general, like sometimes indeed they need to be locked up because somebody else requires it or they are, um, they, uh, they have an injury that requires that they be in a, in a stable or whatever. So there is no pasture maybe. So, um, I always keep in mind their natural behavior and that's, that's my starting point. So locking them up is just um, they cannot roam around, they cannot walk. They But one of the things they can do in nature, they eat for 16 hours a day approximately. So if you can provide your horse with slow feeders because they're, they are meant to graze 16 hours a day. And if you know something uh, about... Um, their um, their physical um, bodies. Um, when I learned that um, uh, the stomach of horses keep making stomach acid twenty four hours a day because they are uh, they are grazing so much of the time, and that's the opposite of us humans. Our stomach only makes as uh, stomach acid when we see or smell or think about food when we're hungry. But for horses, it's really key to keep their stomach filled because otherwise they can get ulcers and ulcers can lead to uh, behavioral problems. So even if you have to lock your horse up for a certain amount of time, um, ask yourself, what's their natural behavior? What makes them happy? 
they're, for instance, they're uh, social animals. So putting another horse uh, nearby would help them. It's, it's better than locking them up alone. So just see what you can do and focus on what you can do uh, instead of focusing on what the horse doesn't have because there's always something that you can improve. I agree. How did this all lead you into training people to be with horses? Can you tell me a bit more about that? So you finished university. What happened there? Um, Well, I got um, a day job in an office and I really quickly felt like you were trapped in a stable. Trapped. Trapped in a stable, (laughs) yeah. And I had to do stuff, stuff, stuff. And I didn't... Uh, like it because I didn't have freedom. Uh, it was like kind of mass production where I worked. Um, uh, and um, yeah, there was not, not much of my own input there. Um, I worked for the Ministry of uh, Agriculture and it was just an office job. Um, so I uh, went and got my certification for to become a riding instructor. So I became a riding instructor first in the evening hours and um, later on I built my business uh, and it became bigger and bigger. But I noticed that a lot of the riding problems uh, people had were basically communication problems. People didn't understand their horse uh, because nobody taught them about their natural behavior we and there was a different time and um people were still taught that uh there need to be an alpha horse which is not the case and you need to be the boss um well they say you need to be the leader but they really meant you need to be the boss because you will be the one that tells the horse what to do when to do it how long to do it and there was no freedom for the horse to ask the horse's input on that and the horse's opinion on that. But um, so I started to educate people about horse behavior, about how they uh, understand their horse better, how they could connect better. And then they didn't have uh, the problems that they would have in the saddle. And I started uh, giving lectures about horse behavior and how that uh, how important that is to train a horse if you know something about their natural behavior. So, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about when you started doing this with horses? Can you think of an example of somebody that you helped, what their issue was and what you were able to do with them and what the result was? Yeah, I... Um uh, one of my riding clients uh, had a beautiful uh, Lusitano stallion. He was so beautiful, and uh, I like Iberian horses. I, I really love the way they look. They're very um, athletic, and this one was really uh, because they bred so long to be um, um, bullfighters. They really are bred also for their character, and this horse had a really, really gentle nice character and one day I came and my client um, she couldn't get on her horse and well she did what everybody else will do 
So take the reins a little shorter and then she was in the saddle. And I already noticed that in the back of my mind. I'm like, hmm, this is different. And um, when I was um, getting my certification as a riding instructor, I was taught always be the authority and blah, 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 blah. But my heart said something else. So I already made a mental note. Hmm, she's getting in, she's mounting her horse, but it doesn't go as always. And then she asked him to walk on and he didn't want to. And she just asked really politely and um, with her leg aids, like to do it again. And he just refused. And I remember it was super hard because I heard that voice in, in the back of my head, like you're the authority, you have to say, uh, you're the boss and make him walk, you know? Yeah, because that's, that's a result. Disrespectful, that's, yeah. And, but m the other voice in my heart, my heart voice was saying like, there's something off, that something is not good. And I could see that there was like tension building up in the horse. Um, so I did something that was, like I followed my heart and I went against all things that I learned. So I, I asked her to dismount. I said, I don't know what's wrong with him, but maybe he's in pain. I don't know what's wrong because this is not how he behaves normally. And she agreed on that. And, and she said, I'm glad that you um, asked me to dismount. And I said, did you do anything different like this morning or, or maybe yesterday, because I know she was teaching him to be in front of a carriage. So maybe he had muscle ache or whatever. And she said, no, no, nothing different. Everything was completely the same. I'm like, okay, let's check the saddle. She had a beautiful custom made saddle. It was brand new, super soft, fit perfectly. So I'm like, okay, I have to, ask her to take the saddle off and I knew it was brand new and, and, and made to fit. So there was another thing like, okay, this is something different that I do. Anyway, she took the saddle off and she checked the saddle and I checked the horse. I couldn't find anything wrong with, uh, with his back or where the, uh, the cinch was. And she said, Hey, look at this. And she found a big sharp piece of wood, like a big splinter in her saddle cloth. Oh. And Ouch. she took it out. We saddled him again and she mounted and everything went well. And then she said, ah, now I remember what I did differently. Today, I left him in the outdoor arena just before you came. And instead of saddling him in the stable, which I normally do, I put the, sta uh, the saddle out and I put it on the wooden fence, which was a little bit older fence. And that's how that splinter came into the saddle cloth. And, but she's in the beginning, she said, well, I didn't do anything out of the ordinary. And then, because just, we're so not present a lot of the time, aren't we? We're just going through the motions and we're not even aware of that we've changed something because we're always thinking about something else. That's our human condition. Absolutely. So by listening to the horse um, and doing something that I wasn't trained to do, like, oh, let's see what the horse has to say. Let's find out why is the horse doing this? Because this is not normal. He He's cooperative and now he was not. And by doing that and listening to my, my inner wisdom and, and 
and try to find out what the horse was telling us um, that um, that the rest of the riding hour was like beautifully. But if I hadn't done that, the rest of the hour would have been so painful, would have been so much frustration for the rider, for me, for the horse, for everybody involved. And horses always have a good reason um, why they are communicating that something is wrong. I have like so many stories of this that I, I told myself like I have to learn to listen to the horse even though everybody else is saying like make him go forward or whatever we are taught to do if you listen to the horse and and that's in that moment we created a little stronger bond with the horse because he knew he could trust us to listen exactly he came out of it better than he went in. And I just couldn't even imagine what it would be like if I was a horse and I was carrying a human who'd be quite a few kilos on my back and I had a splinter rubbing into my back somewhere as I was doing it. It would just be horrible. Yeah, and so much stress that would come along it because we would be, because I think maybe he would bolt at her off. Oh, I don't know. I would. If I was a horse, I would buck him off. If I had a splinter going into my back from my saddle blanket and I had weight on top of that and I was they were trying to ask me to do movement, I absolutely would buck them off. I would say, get off me now, this hurts. Exactly. And he was already telling us by not letting her on. And what a beautiful um, horse to do it in such a gentle way. And, and thank God you were there listening. Yeah, and it was a, such a huge learning moment for me too because I was like, I said like, okay, please dismount. And I'm like, this is against what I've learned to do as an instructor. Oh, let's check him out. And I was, I was worried because I'm not a vet. Maybe if what happens if I cannot find something? You know, all those questions and insecurities that went through my head. But my heart said like, there's something wrong. Let's find out what it is. And I've, I've, I've so many stories of this and you always find out. And isn't that indicative again of the human condition though? How many, like you had gone to university, learned animal behavior. Um, you, even though it wasn't with horses, it could easily translate. You'd done coaching and us as general horse people who haven't done all of that. Imagine what's going through our head when the horse doesn't go. And it's so hard um, to stop and, and listen and think when you've got all of those voices going on in your head telling you what should be. And, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Yeah, and what I feel sad is that, that most of those voices are giving you wrong advice. Only every single time. It's the deep voice and it's the one that sounds different to the others right from the back mm. that uh, that always gives you the good one. But those other ones that sit in your head, they just, they yeah. They just try and confuse you, I think. So I always encourage my, my, my students or clients, like, follow your heart. If you feel really fearful, if, if I ask you to do something and you feel fear, let me know. And then we work on the fear first and then we can get the results later. Because there's, every time you ignore that voice, even if it's in the rider or in the horse, it doesn't matter 
that's the first thing that, that I connect with. And can you tell me a little bit about a horse that you've worked with uh, of your own that you've been able to transform? I know you've got a great story there. Yes. When my first pony died, I was, um, I was part of an Andalusian show team and we, we worked with, we did demonstrations with, uh, with Andalusian stallions and, um, performances and there was trick training and classical dressage and it was super, super awesome. And I wanted an Andalusian horse. And one day my friend called me and she said, Oh, you always wanted an Andalusian horse. And I was like, yes. She said, hey, you're so good with horses. And my ego was really, really pleased with that, of course. So I'm like, yes. So are you interested in a little project, horse? So <laughs> I went over. I love that word, project. Yeah. <laughs> it's got it written all over it, doesn't it? And Yeah. And of course, because I already said yes, two yeses. And, and my ego was really, really much like, yeah, she, she talked to my ego. So of course I, I didn't say no, I'm really, I'm the worst person <laughs> with horses. <laughs> and, um, it happened to be that one of her Andalusian stallions, uh, had escaped to, and found the herd of mares, Exmoor pony mares that were kept for grazing purposes in a nature reserve. So that was a year before or two years before. And then uh, the foals were born. And then after when the foals were about 11 months old, they were all gathered and, um, and then separated from the mares. So she picked, there were 10 foals because there were 10 mares and then she could pick her stallion up and um, bring him home. And she picked, the she said later the least damaged fall because the Exmoor stud book didn't care for uh, crossbreeds because uh, they were all meant to go for meat. So she took one of the falls and she said, "Well, I'm entitled to half of the falls because it was my stallion." So, <laughs> so but she picked one, and after a few weeks, three weeks, she. Um, um she 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 realized that she had her own boarding facility um she had her own business she had a family with young children she couldn't tame a horse next to all her busy life so that's when she called me like oh you always wanted the andalusian this is a part andalusian so i decided to do that and um um i had to um uh, transport Kira to where I live. That was 60 kilometers. We, we got her into a trailer. First time she was in a trailer, she also has an accident. So there was like, it took us a few hours to load her, but I took the time. And then um, at that point after university, I also um, came a friend of mine, a horse person, she showed me natural horsemanship um, package with all the steps and, and the levels. And at the same time, she introduced me to positive reinforcement horse training and an email list of uh, Yahoo click riders, it was called. So I was practicing those, uh, both of those uh, methods um, simultaneously 
and when I got my horse, I was um, I was a little bit more experienced in, in both of those methods. And I used positive reinforcement to really tame Kira. And I kept a training diary. And because I kept that logbook, I now know that it only took me three weeks before that it took me three weeks and after three weeks I could approach her because in the beginning she was trying to get away from me as soon as possible and she even tried to escape over the stable wall that's how scared she was and how high were those stable walls they're standard so I think two meters wow and she was little not not a tall horse so she was like pony size filly so yeah so that was really scare, scary mm. to see. I could approach her. I could halter her. I could touch her all over. I could lift her feet. I could lead her over the premises. And I could even use a spray can with a disinfectant to spray her wound on her front leg. And then I took her to the arena to do natural horsemanship with her. Because that was um, a home study package, which had really clear boundaries you have to do this 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 and then you get that 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 so it was really clear what you had to do and um one of the things was uh, that you had to teach your horse to run in a circle around you on a three meter long rope at the same time now, i did it say i'd have a little question here did it say why you had to teach your horse this and what your horse would learn from this no, and I didn't step. question it because it was kind of lunging and it's kind of the thing you do. And I thought it's really good for exercising your horse and to um, make your horse more gymnastic. And yeah, something like that. I didn't really question that. It was just one of those steps and the results would be friendship partnership harmony so i didn't really question why i had to sounds great make Ooh, the horse friendship and harmony that sounds wonderful yeah who who doesn't want that and at the same time i was doing trick training with uh, kira and i used clicker training to teach her that so uh, she, by that time she could already lay down on on cue and i clicked and fed her from uh, with with treats so she already knew how to lay down on command and one day I was doing that circling game it was called and I saw something she didn't want to go that was one of those things that I could already see in her face oh she doesn't want to go and I have to make her go and then she came up with a beautiful solution she just offered something um I think she knew that I would take off all the pressure. She just laid down. I love her. And I was like, okay, the booklet says that I have to put more pressure on her because she doesn't do what I say. But I couldn't like whip a horse that is so vulnerable. And I knew at the same time she's offering this behavior because this behavior doesn't involve pressure at all no force no coercion nothing just treats so this was her way of saying like i don't like the pressure release methods 
but then instead I will do- of, yeah instead of showing you in an aggressive way she actually showed you in a really vulnerable way didn't she it's very different if she started um refusing and becoming stubborn or trying to jump the fence but she actually laid down which which would for me if i was in that circumstance it would speak more to my heart because it's a very vulnerable thing for a horse to lie down in front of you and she was so it was a it was a big call and it was a smart one on her part it was such a risk that she took because i was i was carrying that training stick to make her go yeah and she still decided to hey i know a way that i get i get reinforcement in a better way i i think she she really knew at least she took the risk like this will probably take the pressure off. But, but the maybe also she might have known you a bit better than you probably knew yourself. And she thought, I know who's really in there. How do I bring the best out in her? You know, we're standing there going, how do we bring the best out in our horse? And our horse is going, oh, my God, how do I bring the best out in this human? You know, rearing's not going to do it because she knows how to handle that. I'll give her vulnerability and see what happens. I think she was, I think she had you sorted from the start. Probably. I was like, yeah, and that was a moment that I really decided, I remember that I decided to let go of the pressure release methods. And I decided uh, when I went home on my bike, biking six kilometers to home, and I had this big question, I don't know how I can train her and prepare her to go in her saddle later on, but I have to find a way. And there's always a way. I have to find a way to do it in a gentler way with positive reinforcement and ask the horse to cooperate and then ask for her answer instead of saying, you have to do this now in this way. So, yeah, and, and I really decided, I don't know how, but I will find a way. And until I found that way, um, I will do nothing. And then I basically threw that um, natural horsemanship package in a corner. And I just looked into it to get like inspiration about exercises. But uh, yeah, I, I figured out a way to train everything with positive reinforcement. And I kept a training journal because in university, we also learned about horse behavior or not horse behavior, but um, uh, um doing behavior uh, and make, making it scientific. Um, so I knew if I would write it down, everything, every step I do, it would give me so much information so I could recreate my successes and I could also have something to teach it to other people. What's some of the main things that you, because you talk to horse people, and you talk to horse people all over the world because you can work online. Mm-hmm. Once, so, so you understand a lot, not just about horse behavior and management. You understand a lot about human behavior, which is kind of my background. And what fascinates me is the, the similarities you see within humans. Mm. What's really great, because there's so many of us listening to this podcast and we want to learn more. And um, we we want to know more. And also, I believe we come together as a community because we want to feel like we're not alone. What are some of the main things you um, come across in most of your 
um, students that you work with? What are some of the things we keep telling ourselves that, that, that get in the way? That we're not good enough. Oh, and that goes to the core of everything, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. In counselling, that's the core of what I worked with on pretty much everyone. And, and I remember studying counselling and I was in a room of oh, at least 30 people and, um, and it was like, okay, let's get to the core. Does anyone not have the issue that they're not good enough? And nobody put their hand up. It is pretty universal. It is, it is. I had uh, one of my mentors said, like, uh, put 10 people in a row and 11 of those people are insecure. Fantastic. That's how how everybody has that feeling that I'm not good enough or I don't know enough. Imposter Um, syndrome. That's a friend of mine too. And I think the, the way that in Western society, like everything is aimed to get results, results, results. Um, and I think we teach children and people uh, a lot of things that go wrong. And that's how I was taught to ride horses. Uh, I, I was taught, uh, told and over and over again what I was doing wrong instead of what I was doing right. So, like, you know, um, y- you sit on the horse like a bag of potatoes. Yeah, that really helps me to... <laughs> to become better it doesn't say anything to help me like let's focus on what goes well and create more of that mm. and I remember um, years ago now this is I was living in another state down in Melbourne so it is at least 15 years ago so it would have changed because this is before smartphones as well and we were told that you by the age of 10 you were seeing something like 11,000 different advertisements advertisements whether it be in magazines whether it be in billboards again before smartphones before facebook and social media had come in eleven thousand or so by the time you were you know that that early childhood or Mm -hmm. not even a teenager and every single one of those because marketing goes to tell you that you're not good enough and you won't be happy until you buy what it is you're being sold Mm -hmm. So there's no real surprise that we all carry around the I'm not good enough because the, the, the marketing world actually tries to create that. You know, they put yeah. people on the front of magazines and they airbrush them or they put someone on who has a figure that nobody in the real world has. Nobody else can, <laughs> can match that because we're not that. And so it just goes to show that even now, with social media and with the little smartphone computers in our hands that there's no wonder that this is still around. There's no wonder that this is the main thing that all humans are carrying. So everyone out there listening, have a think about why it is that you actually have this and then you can start thinking differently. And you know what? You always, uh, it, it doesn't matter what you do. There's, always people that have an opinion about what you're doing and uh, and also about what you're not doing because when I had my first pony he was really tiny so most of the times I went for hand walks in the village and always people were asking me why are you not riding them him that's a classic isn't it what is the use of sometimes I did yep and then people commented because Dutch people can uh, comment on everything. 
we know everything about everything. It's wonderful. And, and then people were, or all the horse people were, well, you're way too tall, way too, too big and too heavy to ride him. You know, it's, it's, and that's also where, when I learned like, okay, I have to do what, what I think is right because at least I make one person happy and that's me. Mm. So I enjoyed the relationship with my first pony because um, I was really connecting with him. And with my second horse, Kira, I have the same thing. The connection is the, is the most valuable thing for me. And people ask me all the time, why, if I'm not riding, are you going to ride? And if I ride, this is there's always something and I've learned to just stay with my own inner wisdom. Like if I feel that she wants to ride or go out for a ride, let's go out for a ride. If I plan to ride her and when she sees the saddle, I have this feeling like, Oh, she's not really up to it. I just let it go. I don't ride. And I really love it. That's beautiful. But like you said, we get so much um, reinforcement from all sides in society all day long that we're not good enough. We're not there yet. We're not perfect. We are not meant to be perfect or we are already perfect. It doesn't matter how you see it, but let that whole thing <laughs> go. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you cannot improve. Exactly, but the only only pressure you actually have is the one you put on yourself. Yes. Yes, but we, we often don't know that we are putting it on ourselves and that we have the freedom to change our thoughts. We certainly do. Is that what you work with people? Because you do work a lot online. So you work with people to help them to change their thoughts about themselves and their horses? Absolutely. I start with, with teaching them how to train their horse with positive reinforcement and encouraging the horse to do more of the good things the horse is already doing. And then I morph it into also like once people understand the, um, the principle of positive reinforcement and then I, then I ask them uh, and I point out to them like, oh, you can use that on yourself too. Like if you keep a training diary, it it's not useful to put all your faults and your failures in there. But it is useful to put three things that went well, because if you focus on the things that will, went well, then you create more of that. And one point of learning. So you know what to focus on next time. And you always, even your learning point, I teach people to phrase it in an positive way so instead of saying like oh my learning point was that my time timing was really horrible no i i ask them to rephrase it and then they come up with things like i can improve my timing so my results will become better mm. and there's one that puts yourself down and there's one that doesn't and it's really that simple sometimes yeah and sometimes you need somebody to help you with that because it needs to become a habit. Yeah, and uh, and again, it's that feeling of not being alone and feeling of being supported that's so valuable with our human conditions. 
And there's also a few eye openers that really help in training. Like there's reinforcement is meant to strengthen a behavior. Punishment is meant to decrease a behavior. So that's why I don't use punishment in my training because it doesn't teach the horse what to do. It doesn't teach the desired behavior. If the horse is biting, for instance, I don't punish the horse for that behavior. I don't smack him because he doesn't learn what to do. What I want him to do is, and then I train the opposite or incompatible behavior. An incompatible behavior with biting, for instance, is keeping their mouths closed because they cannot bite you if they uh, keep their mouths shut. Mm-hmm. Or if they are standing or walking away, I teach incompatible opposite behavior like, oh, you cannot walk away if I teach you to stay with four hoofs on the floor. And those were really eye openers um, for me. And I always, because it makes training easier if you understand the principles of learning and motivation. And then you can use that and then you can ask yourself, is the horse teaching, uh, is the horse learning because he wants something, uh, an appetitive, something that he wants to work for? Or is he, am I training him because he wants to escape something that is um, uncomfortable? In the case with Kira's story with the circling uh, game, and I was pressuring her and I was threatening her with a, with a training stick well, if you if you don't keep this uh, this gate up, I will get you with this stick. That's negative reinforcement. But the horse offered, like, I don't want that. I want to do something for you. So that was my positive reinforcement. Like, oh, if the horse does whatever you tell him to do, it's positive reinforcement for the trainer. So, but you can also use positive reinforcement for the horse and that's also positive reinforcement for the trainer because you both get what you want. And I think that's the most beautiful because then it's a win-win. And if you make it a win-win, you build on your relationship with your horse and you build on that trust because you will listen to your horse and he's entitled to say no. Just like we are. Yeah. And it's more fun because we have horses because it's fun, not because we have to ride in the army or whatever we have to do. No. Yeah, we have choice now. We have choice yeah. to do whatever we like together. And That's... the relationship becomes way more beautiful if you give your horse the choice too because it's so beautiful if you discover that the horse really wants to say yes to you. It is. The moment they become inquisitive is the, mm-hmm. the changing moment, and, and I love that. And I read, uh, it was Anna Blake's blog, I believe, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and she said, you also need to be the treat. You know, have a think about that, which I really love. So it's um, yeah. it's great to use treats and training. It's a really lovely way to begin with horses. And then what happens when you actually become the treat? that just working with you is so amazing for your horse that you don't actually need to bring a food reward out. What an incredible place to be able to get to. 
absolutely and i have seen like um when i was still teaching uh, riding instructor uh, instruction in the netherlands that the horses really loved were looking forward to the day that i came because riding lessons with sandra meant that that the that the rider was doing a lot of work and the horse usually didn't so much because i was teaching the rider so much about the behavior about the setup of of their training and the horse could just standing still next to me and i was petting the horse so the horse was like oh let's let's have another lesson <laughs> yeah it's the reverse logic instead of thinking that the horse has always got the problem the human was actually getting the work so that's wonderful i'm sure they appreciated that yeah and i always have like this aim for my people that they can uh recreate their successes because they 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 know why they are doing what they are doing mm-hmm. like when i was teaching still riding lessons now i do more online so it's not as much riding lessons as as more horse training um but i wanted people to to know why they should ride in a circle what it was useful for not because i say so but if they know why it's beneficial to the horse to ride circles for instance then they can think of that in a time uh, they ride their horse when I'm not there. That's fantastic. And learning to think for yourself. So instead of also going out there and riding circles for a whole hour, if you know why it is you're doing it, you can set yourself up a lot better, can't you? And go, well, if I do five or 10 minutes of this and, and then I can move to this one and you know why you're doing everything that you do and what it's building then you can collaborate a lot more and go for a win-win and negotiate a lot more with your horse. If you don't have a clue and you're just following a set program, then if you don't actually know, is your horse really going to participate anyway? Because it thinks, well, you don't know why we're doing this, so why on earth should I do this? Yeah, and also if you know that that if you're teaching a behavior and you, you, you need to practice and you practice more and more and more and the quality goes up and up and up, and if you know when to stop, because if you go on and on and on, the quality will go down in in that same ride because of fatigue, of uh, the horse gets bored or you get bored or you your expectations suddenly jump and think, oh, I can do 10 more circles of this. And the horse is like, oh, I'm getting really sore somewhere in my body. I need to do something else. And if you just can uh, make people aware of of those things that are happening in training then they can just um it's easier for them to stop when when they still get the results uh, because you always think oh one more time and that's the time you get less <laughs> mm, exactly knowing when to stop is a really really wonderful tool to have but if you know why you have to stop, exactly. it's easier. Yeah, yeah. Because then the why. next time you you start with the quality of the behavior you ended last time, usually. Yeah, beautiful. I love it. So tell me a little bit more about your online courses. I have different courses. I have a course uh, that's uh, the ultimate equestrian goal setting formula. Uh, because um, lots of people have dreams. They want to have a trail uh, ride horse, 
but they have no idea um, how to turn their horse into a reliable trail horse or they want to do something else with the horse, but they have just no ideas what steps to take in order to get there. So that's a um, four-week online course, and it, it's for all disciplines because I don't, I don't um, you can pick your own goal. And if you, even if you don't know what your goal would be, I help you to set a goal and find the goal that that's in you already. I don't give you a goal. You will find your own goal, which is really amazing. And then the other um, online course I have is the ultimate horse training formula. Uh, key lessons, your key to success in positive reinforcement horse training. And that's an eight-week online course with weekly Zoom classes. And I'm really, really excited about because um, uh, I followed some really expensive courses and I have lifetime access. And that's what I offer my students to You have lifetime access because you can learn the theory in eight weeks. But that doesn't mean that you can have the experience. And I want people to to experience, to practice, practice, practice until they can do it by themselves, until they don't need me. That's that's my purpose from all my clients, to guide them and to keep a safe space for them until they're on their own. And as long as they need me to help them, to support me, to help them keep them accountable, I will be there. So once people enroll in this course, um, it's twice a year, they can come and um, be with the life classes over and over and over again until they feel that that they don't need it anymore. And they even come with another horse because I, I want them to be the knowledge in them. It's not about the horse. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so valuable to be able to learn something and revisit it time and time again because it's really easy, even though you learn something, it's easy to forget it a few years down the track. And so it's really nice to have a resource to come back to at the times where you're feeling a bit lost, even if you're going well for a long time, then all of a sudden you get a bit stuck. To be able to come back is really valuable. Yeah, and then that that threshold becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. And then you don't know how to um, break that cycle. And then just by coming back in the course and and you will learn something new every, every, every time. Because there's so much information. There's my 20 years of experience is in eight weeks. So it's super condensed. And that's why people need to come back over and over because even though I tell the same story over and over again, I teach them the same things, the same principles, you only can hear what you're ready to learn. Yeah, I talk about it like um, it's like we've got a big bubble around us. It's like layers of the onion skin and you have to hear it a lot of times and it, it often doesn't go all the way to the inside. It has to just... It strips one layer off at a time and then you you understand it deeper and then there's all of a sudden there's a moment, I remember it in counselling, when you can see that somebody's actually embodied it and you're like, oh, there it is. So it does, it takes time. We actually, yeah, we need repetition in our learning just like horses need repetition in their learning as well sometimes. 
Absolutely, yeah, and and it needs to be fun. And if you are with like-minded people that really treasure the connection and and the, and the relationship with their horse, and then because some some people get the impression that you either get results or you build on your um, relationship with your horse, but I know you can have both. I think you can have both too. Absolutely. Tell me, what is, first of all, I would like to know the name of your business. My business is called Hippologic. Um, I came up with that name when I was still speaking Dutch um, because hippo means horse in Greek and logic means science. And because I wanted to um, transfer knowledge that is based on natural behavior of the horse and um, not natural horsemanship, natural behavior of the horse, two different things, natural behavior and the natural needs of horses. And that's transferred by science because we are learned that there's an alpha stallion and science proves that that's not exactly true. Um, and all, all, so the information I use is, is based on science, but you train also with your heart because you want that connection because that's the reason you bought a horse in the first place because mm. you want to connect. So my, my business name is Hippologic. Um, my website is clickertraining.ca and mm. you can also find my blog on my website. I blog, um, Every every week about and, horse training. And you're on social media. Yes, I'm um, on Facebook. You can find me at um, www.facebook.com forward slash hippologics with an S mm-hmm. at the end. And I'm also on Twitter. And if you find me on Instagram, hippologic. And uh, then you can find out more about, um, I don't post a lot about horse training on my Instagram. It's more personal stuff that I like to share with people. Wonderful. And it would be remiss of me to skip totally past what you said before. So we're going to visit that before it is that I say thank you and goodbye. There is no stallion leader and they've scientifically proven it. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Well, that's one of the myths um, that needs to be debunked. And I've worked with so many stallions and um, apparently it's the, um, it's, it's the herd that, that more democratically makes decisions as, <laughs> well, if three out of ten horses are heading for a direction the rest will follow. It's usually not one horse that makes all the decisions. So it's a collaboration. It's a collaboration, and I think we we need way more um, way more study about horse behavior uh, because we think we know it all, and I think we 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 just starting to discover what. He, Horses are really are all about, and it's also difficult to study for us because um, 
it's hard to find horses in their natural habitat because we put horses from different ages or sometimes from the same age and, and different genders all in one pasture. And then we say the herd is like this and this is the herd behavior. Well, um, it's very unnatural to put like four months, five months, six months old fillies or foals together in a pasture with no adults. It's a really good point that you make there that there is a herd behavior and there's a natural thing that happens with a dynamic that comes together, but the horses don't usually choose who their herd is. We do that for them. We do that for them. And that's also what influenced their behavior because we, we create this super unnatural environment for them. They don't stay with their mom until the next fall is born. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually, a really good point. Hmm. They they wean themselves off of the mares saying like, oh, now there's another baby. Now you have to just uh, be on your own. But they usually suckle for comfort, not for milk when they're 11 months old. But they just have that for comfort. And yeah, the way my first pony was kept, that man didn't really care. They just kept every horse in the same pasture. So my first pony he was born he was a stallion he was not gelded because well that costs money so let's not do that um let's keep them in the herd because there's no problem and he was super gentle he didn't have that stallion behavior and he was playful yes but he was not dangerous mm, because he was taught good manners in the way that I really that should be taught. And um, yeah, it's so valuable to keep a horse with the as young horses in a herd so that they learn how to be horses because we're human. We can't teach them how to be a horse. No, but, but we can take that away from them by just taking them away from their mom and their herd when they're four, five, six months old, when they still need to learn so much from their mothers. And like my horse, my current horse is, is born in a nature reserve that meant she knows what to eat and not to eat because her mom taught her that. So she didn't eat any apples. She didn't eat carrots because it's not natural food for them, which kind of amazed me because I thought it's sweet. You will eat it, but no, she really had to learn by, um, by example. Oh, that horse is eating apples hmm, for for seven days in a row. He's not dead. Maybe I'll try it today, but not the first day, not the second day. That's extraordinary. And it also goes in reverse. So if you have a horse that's stable all the time and then you throw them out into a 300-acre paddock, which is one of the rescues I have, that happened to him. He was a pacer on the track. And then these lovely old couple rescued him and another standard bred and put them in a 300-acre paddock and left them alone. How is he meant to know what to eat and what not to eat? How to behave in the big, bad, wide world of a 300-acre paddock? They don't know. They they don't know. And then they, they have to rely on their instincts. But, like, we also have instincts, but we also need to just learn so much before we are ready mm. to handle ourselves. And the same goes for horses. They need to learn stuff. And it's really amazing if you 
discover how learning works and that it, that there's some latent learning once you have practiced a skill, it's best to leave it alone for a few days so it really can sink in and the brain can make those neurons and those connections. It's really, that's the science that I really, really love. And that's the same with humans. Mm. I yeah. love that. It's like when you sleep on something and all of a sudden it makes sense again. It's great. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And then the next thing you, the next day you have the answer or you can do the thing or you know what you can do better. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, Sandra, it has been so wonderful and fascinating talking to you today. I love the wealth of experience you've got. And I wanted to say thank you for joining me today. But more importantly, thank you for everything that you do for the horses out there because it is so important what it is that you're doing and I'm so glad that you're doing it. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for this opportunity because the same goes for you because because of you share this. You took the time to ask me all those questions and I hope you can inspire so many people. I know you inspire me with your podcast absolutely thank you so much and do you know what's great about people like you in the horse world and all of the people that have come before me there's no competition there's no putting oh. anyone down it's this extraordinary world of people that want to collaborate and that's what i love about this what i like to call conscious horsemanship more than anything is we get that the horse comes first and it's brilliant that we're all in this together and it's got that feeling of we're all in this together. We're not competing because you do it slightly differently to somebody else and you've learned something different to somebody else and you have a different teaching style to somebody else. Everyone loves what everyone's doing and we're all so excited that horses are the winners here and we get to be a part of that winning team. So it's a beautiful thing all around. It's, it's, there's a lot of love here and a lot of excitement. And, um, and I'm just so grateful that I'm able to do this as well. I think that what you say, conscious. Conscious horsemanship. Yeah. Everyone is conscious of everything they're doing. Th that just nails it. <laughs> I really, really me, like that. Because it's taken me 31 episodes to figure it out. So 31 weeks I've gone, what is it that we're doing? What is it that all these people are doing? What name can I associate with this? And then conscious horsemanship. I was like, that, that canvas is it for me. It, it makes sense to me. And I think there's, there's, there, there is no competition because Everyone has a place in this world. Every horse, every person, every animal, every living being has its place. And we are all needed and we are all important. And, and I think that the moment we can see that there's not really competition, because if you share and, and because love is one of the things that gets bigger once you share it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the same is with knowledge. It, yeah, it needs to spread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. This is everybody here is spreading and lifting each other up. And I love every part of it. And there's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's brilliant. And it's an honor to do what it is that I do. So thanks again, Sandra. I look forward to chatting with you again sometime. And Canada is on my list of places to visit. So I'm certainly going to be popping in to meet you in person one day. 
Oh, you're welcome in Vancouver any day. Thank you, Tracy, for this opportunity. I really, really appreciate it to uh, be here on your show and to, to uh, tell my story. As a special treat just for you, Sandra has created a special coupon code. Come along for the ride 2018. This will get you 50% off her ebook, Key Lessons, Your Key to Success in Positive Reinforcement Horse Training. This book is valued at 27 Canadian dollars. The link will be in the show notes and on the blog on my website, so you can pop the code in there and get that amazing discount. Also, if you want to get to know Sandra a bit better or you're curious about what online coaching actually is and how it might be able to help you, you can sign up for a free 30-minute discovery call with Sandra. You can do that via her website, the link that I'll put in the show notes and on the blog on my website. Or you can sign up for her newsletter at that same link and get a few times a year free training templates, training tips and discounts that only come through her newsletter. So if you want to contact Sandra, once again, go to my website, comealongfortheride.com.au. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.